Welcome to the Maximum Theater and Performance Podcast. This is Jose Solis. Today, we speak to playwright Kiara Atik. Her new play, Bump, is currently running at Ensemble Studio Theater. On this episode, Kiara discusses how a YouTube experiment inspired the play, safe spaces for women online, and the challenges of creating science-based art that doesn't feel like an after-school special. Enjoy the show. Today we are here with Kiara Atik. Kiara, thank you for coming all the way to Astoria. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I saw Bump last night and I had a really wonderful time. But for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what Bump is? Yeah, Bump is the story, sort of three different intertwined stories about pregnancy and childbirth. So one is women on a message board who are pregnant. Um, Another takes place in colonial America, a woman alone with her midwife in labor. And then the third story is the story of a family um, who are going to become a husband and wife are going to be grandparents for the first time. And uh, the dad in the story was not really a part of his daughter's birth. But now that his daughter is pregnant, um, feels a new, uh, feels compelled to sort of participate more in the process. And in attempting to do that, he discovers, he invents this device that um, will, he thinks, hopefully help her help other people during birth. So Bump is a partnership or a co-production between Ensemble Studio Theater and the Alfred P. Sloan mm-hmm. uh, Foundation. Foundation. Yeah. <laughs> how did that, you know, how did you become involved in this? They put out a call for submissions every year and have for a really long time. And I think it was in 2014 when I was involved with Ensemble Studio Theater. Um, I saw that they had this Sloan program you can sort of submit a proposal and I found an article about um, a man who invented a birthing device and so I submitted that and got the commission and put it off for about a year and then started writing it and uh, workshopped it through them it was kind of a long process actually but that's how I found out about them but it's open to everybody it's not just ensemble studio theater uh, writers um and it's great. It's a good way be- to to get plays about science because it's a, not something that I would otherwise gravitate towards. Um, and I found it a fun challenge to kind of look around and see how I could maybe think about incorporating science into drama. Was the process in any way different for you? You know, like starting from a science project and knowing in a way that you have to write a show that revolves around this project. Was it any different than when you were writing any of the other plays? Yeah, absolutely. It was really, really hard. It was much harder than anything else. I think because I was really excited about this article that I'd read. um, And I knew that there was some possibility for drama or comedy in it but then when it was time to actually write the play I had a hard time at first figuring out how to make this a play and not just like a biopic Mm -hmm. um and I also think that sometimes plays that um have like information that they have to impart um it's hard to do that. It's hard to not sort of seem like a Schoolhouse Rock episode or like a Bill Nye thing um, and to incorporate the information in a way that's dramatically important or interesting. And I also really struggled with, yeah, like I said, why is this a play and not like a movie? And I think I, I, my other things aren't super like straightforward narrative and I um, 
started writing this in a very straightforward narrative way and it just didn't feel right and I really was struggling and that's kind of why I started to incorporate the other two stories because it let me take a broader lens um, and it at that point I think turned into what I felt like was a compelling play and not just like a straightforward like biography on stage which I, I obviously people do very well but I don't think that I could do very well <laughs> so what was your entry point like when did you figure out oh I finally have the the key that'll get me to to a play about this device without being yeah like an after school special oh gosh I don't know um it felt like it, it really took a long time I mean I definitely f I came up with the idea of having these other two storylines like pretty early on, but after the first reading with all three stories, I still wasn't sure that it were, you know, it wasn't just the matter of like finding the two stories. Then I really had to struggle for a long time and, and, um, in trying to find a reason for all three to be in it. And, uh, I thought the message board idea was cool. My friend had been pregnant and had told me stories about, these message boards and I started reading them and I thought they were really really fun um and then I love anything that's sort of like period piece uh comedy so that was easy to put in but then I when I first had the reading with all three stories I remember thinking like god like one of them's gotta go like this isn't working they don't make sense together so then it was a really long process of trying to thread them together and, and bleed them through a little bit more And like in, in each of those stories, like I feel that, you know, like they could perfectly be each of them their own play, but also they work so wonderfully on stage because I was like, you know, if I was, for instance, like a, a mom, which obviously I've never got to be, uh -huh. I, I, I'm like, I'd be totally fascinated by the message board story. But also, I laughed so hard with the Colonial Times, oh, good. Uh, you know, story. And I, I'm... I wonder what the process of editing that when you were writing was like. How did you find the tone where you between the transitions? Like, how did you know? Okay, I want a colonial vignette now, and then follow with the message board. It for instance. was. I mean, it was a really long process, and it changed um, with every iteration of the play, and every workshop, and every step in the development. It changed. Um, we one thing that's new in this sort of final version is that the colonial, um, the colonial storyline emerges a little bit into the play. Right now, it's scene six, but for most of the play's life, it was the third scene. So it would open with the family, and then go to the message board, and then immediately colonial. Um, And this is just to say that we really then, you have these storylines, but then when you're working on it and you're trying to sort of see like where does where does the pace pick up? Where does it sort of need to climax? Are, are the three stories working together? And we felt that in the version where it was the third scene, you didn't get to the story of the device, which is the Sloan, <laughs> why I got paid by Sloan to do this, until like page 30 or something. And it was just way too late in the play to introduce what is essentially like the major element of that storyline so then we ended up pushing it back and it was just like trial and error it was like puzzle pieces we moved things around constantly constantly um and I think only about like three or four weeks ago got to what is now this final order I mean we really changed things a lot but then hopefully once you're watching it and seeing it with actors and seeing run-throughs you kind of notice like okay 
kind of dips here or it's been a while since we've seen them or we can't afford to have this message board seen at this point. So we're going to cut it entirely because the story needs to move faster. Um, something that also we were aware of is that we wanted all three stories to sort of climax at the same time and kind of create like one crescendo. Some so of, that's something we tried. Some of, right. Some of your other works are, you know, very referential. And with, with Bump, I don't, you know, I was doing research and I was trying to remember of shows that involve pregnancy and all of the plays and all of the movies and stuff that I could think of were either, you know, tragedies like Yerma where the, the <laughs> woman Did you see this? Yerma? The Billy Piper yeah. Yerma? Yeah. Did you love it? I, yeah. I was like horrified and in love. I went to see Yerma and I was like, okay, cancel bump. <laughs> like, why am I doing this? Like, the play about pregnancy has been written. Like, so I, gosh, I loved it. I really completely loved it. Anyway, continue. Right. And also, <laughs> like, I was thinking about that musical Baby, the Broadway musical Baby from like the 1980s. Oh, wow. And they're all very, you know, uh, I don't know. They have very like predisposed agendas in a way about pregnancy. And mm. Like everything that I could think of was either you know a woman who's desperate to to have mm-hmm. a baby and then her life falls apart, mm-hmm. or then you know like something cutesy about like oh babies are wonderful, and and bump we get to see you know the both sides. I want to say like there's no tragedy, so don't don't worry, listeners. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that uh. You know, like I, I could see and I loved it and I have to thank you for that. I could see men in the audience constantly like recoil when like, they would, <laughs> when the play would get very technical and very. I mean, I, I also recoiled at some of that part, <laughs> like even learning that information and writing it. There's there's stuff in there that I mean, the literal facts of it are. I, I still sort of recoil. I mean, I've never done it but I have friends who have had babies and they still recoil like I think um it's easy to become a little bit disassociated with like the animalistic nature of you know being a human but um it is it's so intense birth is so intense there are aspects of it that are very scary or isolating or hard to wrap your head around um Right. Yeah, because, you know, like one of my favorite things in the, because uh, I truly love the colonial segment. Oh. One of my favorite things was when, when I was watching the play and like those scenes set in the you know, colonial times, I remembered uh, one of my grandma's favorite phrases, which was when we asked her what it was like to give birth. And I apologize for being crass. <laughs> she said it was the equivalent of eating a whole watermelon and then trying to like you know shove it up your ass yeah <laughs> and I was like that sounds horrifying yeah it, it I mean it is something it's something that's hard to fathom because it's it's a like we say in the play it's how do you get something so huge out of such a narrow passage like it's it's not <laughs> it's not what you it's scary I think it's intense it's I watch a lot of um <laughs> like animal shows and um I've lately been watching this show about like this country veterinarian and so there are a lot of like cow births on um the show like every episode and it's really 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 almost grotesque like I mean it's beautiful new life is I think always beautiful but it's also 
grotesque and something about watching <laughs> cow give birth um hits it home for me that like oh humans do this also and it's always this like insane expanding like feat of like defying your physical body um <laughs> that's really yeah it's hard to contemplate that's why the girl in the colonial one like has no idea what's about to happen to her and has a really hard time understanding it um I think it's yeah do you remember when you first figure out what the birds and the bees process was like and you were like oh yeah but I can't talk about it on this podcast <laughs> I mean you can curse it's fine I Yeah, I mean, essentially, my um, I was 11 when my parents um, had my little brother, which is just like a, a kind of an old age to have a new sibling come into the family. And I was it just really lined up with like the first days of like sex education in my uh, in my life at that point, like fifth grade or so you did the first kind of forays into it. And something about like that plus my mother being pregnant at the time, I just had like a very like visceral crash course that was almost <laughs> like too much for me to handle at that point. Um, <laughs> and then I, yeah, I was with my mom when she gave birth to my brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I definitely, I learned fast and I learned good <laughs> completely. <laughs> something that I really appreciated about the play was that you, you know, without hitting like the audience the head with like a giant hammer you point out how even though you know it's women who have to give birth it obviously takes two to tango and men for the worst part like there's no better or worse here for the worst part mm -hmm. men have been have removed themselves mm -hmm. from birth and from pregnancy mm -hmm. and they're like okay like i'll pick you up at the hospital and i'll bring your bag but that's it and in your play we see you know a father who is very involved with his daughter's pregnancy to the point that she's like kind of revolted by her dad being so interested <laughs> in it. Yeah, I mean, I think for that character, it's so new for her. It's not at all what their relationship has been. And um, I think for them, it's a little bit of a generational thing because the, the character of the daughter, like she talks about her husband's involvement and she's going to do a water birth and her husband's going to get in the water. So she, in this younger generation, has someone very, very involved with her who's really going to be a partner. And I think that's kind of what sparks for the dad. Like, oh, like I never did any of that. Um, and I think that her, what she really needs is kind of boundaries. You know, <laughs> I think some parents are really close and, and but the point in this play is that he has not been like that. And so then to all of a sudden have a dad who you have like a little bit of remove from start talking like in very sort of graphic medical anatomical terms about birth is just like she does in the play. She's like, Oh my God, dad, like it's, it's weird to hear you talk about this. And I think that that um, is just what it's like for her. But then they get past that. They get through that and um, it becomes something really nice. But I mean, I know friends who have had like their dad, with them when they give birth to I think it depends on on the relationship but yeah for the most part certainly historically men have not been in the room at all it feels like a new thing that guys are like so involved as they are now yeah like sometimes. I, even, I even see fathers who are 
you know, extremely embarrassed to go buy tampons for their daughters. And they're oh, like really? blushing oh. like, at the CVS. And I'm like, dude, relax. Do you I, want me to get those for you? Like, yeah. Like, relax. I like to think that that will sort of like go away as like the next generation sort of you know, grow up. Right? Yeah, I hope so. I, I loved also with this, you know, like whole intergener- uh, intergenerational divide. Bump is so lovely because you try to bring these generations together. Mm. And you're not judging, you know, either the younger people for being, you dad, like, you mm-hmm. know, go away. But you're you're also not judging the father who maybe didn't know better. Yeah. And yeah, we see this lovely conversation he has with his wife. Where he's like, do you, do you want me to be more involved? And she's like, oh, just go to sleep. Yeah, she like didn't. I think she really didn't want him to be more involved. You know, like sometimes having a little bit of remove was maybe the preference in some ways. Maybe it was, I don't know. I'm sure there are situations where that was really better. Like the there's a line again in the colonial scene where the girl's like, where's my husband? And the midwife is like, if he were here, it would be like way worse for him than it is for you. And she says, there's no way that's true. But also I can see a world in which it would have been because it's not like he can do anything. It's not, I mean, I'm talking now about birth 300 years ago and not, (laughs) not today where I think the partner can really do a lot. Um, But I think uh, there, there must've been times where just having a little bit of like remove is just like, listen, you don't know what this is. I just want like people around me who have done this before, who can tell me, you know, what to expect, who can tell me this is normal, who tell me what to do or whatever. Um, I think, I mean, there are a lot of societies in which birth is a very like female community type of thing where you would have like lots of women in the room. Um, and I think that can be kind of nice and understandable also, you know, just wanting to be around people who, who, who know what you're going through or I don't know. Something, but something that, that really made me think after seeing the show was that, you know, like obviously there's no art that's going to be for everyone. Uh-huh. But Bump in a way is for everyone. Like you can see, you know, like moms, future moms coming or just like, girlfriends or just like you know male friends or dads and all that so that's a nice compliment thank you yeah the 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 writing that played anyway grant you new insight about about this about you know like making people who think probably that something like bump isn't for them and you're like wait a second I have something for you Uh, well I I think I just always try to make the play um entertaining before anything else before any thematic things come through or in this case science things and so I guess in that respect like I hope that anything I write is for everyone or is entertaining you know there's no point like I don't know I feel like all I can do is sort of like present an array or present a number of sort of different stories about pregnancy there's nothing I mean I've never been pregnant there's nothing that I can say about it to women or men or anyone that they couldn't already know or learn from themselves or or anything like that. I guess all I'm trying to do is sort of like curate some different stories and perspectives and like put them all on a tray and then hopefully people can take from it what they will. And in that case, I hope it is for everybody. But I'm certainly not writing to like a specific audience and certainly not writing to an audience like of moms or of women or, or anything. 
you wrote about you know leaving uh, Twitter. Yeah. And like going away from all this toxicity that prevails uh-huh. online, and I mean you're right. I don't blame you. It's fucking toxic and horrible all the time. And the way that men harass and abuse women and no one does anything is really, I don't know. It's it's I don't have words. It's shameful. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. And I wondered if getting to write about the message boards, which are in many ways, you know, the only probably safe spaces for these women mm. to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love, for instance, that the characters in the message board are not ashamed to say things like, you know, like, hey, this fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And this is yeah. painful. And, you know, like if women, for instance, were to say things like that on Facebook or Twitter, I can already imagine like all the men going like, you're so ungrateful. This is beautiful and it's mm-hmm. magical. And in a nutshell, men are horrible. And <laughs> I know that. So what was it like for you to explore, you know, an online world in your playwriting? Then was it healing in any way or did it, did it just become like more infuriating? Well, no. So a few things that are interesting about the message board. And I think the message board world is very different from social media because it's not you. You have screen names. But the screen, you know, the women in the play, they're named like Apple, Walnut, whatever. It's not even, there's nothing identifying. So I think there's the fact that it's a safe space and, you know, I don't know, I guess presumably just women in there. But also you get a lot of judgment. I think it's especially when it comes to parenting. It's not just from men. It could be from like other moms. It could be anyone. And you would never, I think there's more risk to putting something like, I'm having a hard time. This pregnancy sucks on your Facebook tied to you um, versus just having a space where you can put it and no one knows anything about who you who you really are, your life or whatever. And I think um, somebody I read an article and I'm going to quote somebody whose name I can't remember, but just know this is not my quote. I'm paraphrasing said that social media, you sort of put out like who you want the world to see you as. And um, on a message board, it's really more about the group. And it's less about presenting yourself in a certain way. I think it is a forum where you can be really honest. That having been said, I don't think message boards are without judgment. I mean, these women and these boards, they definitely get into fights about a myriad, um, about myriad topics. But um, another thing I just want to say about, about just what you were asking me is I think there are lots of places on the internet including Twitter where really lovely things can happen um I think when the internet is at its best for people who feel for one reason or another very isolated because it's an opportunity to reach out beyond yourself beyond your community Um, and find other people. The story that I always think of is that like famous New Yorker story from a few years ago about the girl in the Westboro Baptist Church who um, through Twitter met people outside of her religion, cult, whatever you want to call it, um, and eventually broke through and like abandoned her very like hateful lifestyle and that could never have happened without Twitter. Um, I think pregnancy is... I imagine a little bit similar in that it's it's a wonderful time I think but from from what I understand it's also kind of 
an isolating time because whatever's happening, it's happening so literally internally. Like it's just you and your body. And I think that you could talk about it 24-7, but ultimately like your friends, your coworkers, your family, like there's a limit, you know? And it's a place where you can reach out and kind of obsess about it with other people who are going through the same thing you are because you know your coworker, your best friend unless they actually are pregnant like they can listen but they're not going through it and there's something really intense about these like month message boards where it's like wow we're all the December moms for the next nine months we're on the same journey like the day that I like pop and have a bump or the day that I'm supposed to go in for like this test or whatever and I'm freaking out about it my other December moms are doing it too there's it's like a team it's like okay like we're gonna do this and from here to the finish line like we're together it's like a marathon that yeah we're together for like nine months right now. yeah totally Impressive. you're a writer but uh-huh. you're also like a lover of theater and film and, and television and I think may, I hope I'm not being presumptuous and Assuming that, you know, there's nothing more horrifying in a way. Maybe that's a very strong word, but there's it's it's really terrible when you see a character in a play or in a movie like pull out their phones and like look at their screens. And what you do in Bump with this like very inventive DIY, and I don't want to give it away, but you you find the humanity in things like a YouTube video that we're obsessed with or something like message boards. And you are reminding us, you know, like, hey, it's still people who are doing this. Mm. It's not just like a bunch of like nuts and bolts and Mm. screens and Apple products, but it's people. Could you talk a little bit more about that, about how you transformed screens into such a beautiful uh, human experience on stage? Well, I don't know how much credit I can take for that because I wrote, all I did is I wrote in YouTube videos and I said that they would be live actors. Um, beyond that, that was, that was the director, Claudia Weil, and that was the design who sort of staged it the way they did in the screen. But I, I wanted, um, I wanted to have live actors doing these sort of repetitive videos because I, um, I actually don't hate when characters in movies or TV take out their screens because I feel like I spend my life on the screen. My constant, like most of my conversations are like, texting or g-chatting or or on Facebook or whatever and I always find it suspect when um when films or movie or or plays seem to go out of their way to like deny the existence (laughs) of technology you know like little things happen I can't think of an example but you're like god in real life she would just like be on her phone right now or she would just like call somebody so that's why um I really wanted Claudia the the um a young woman who's pregnant in my play to always have her phone because my phone is always in my hand I mean I'm always on it and I reference it and I look things up on it and um I thought it would be exciting to like take the reality of that and put that on stage um and again it was also just similar to what I was saying earlier about like how do I make this a play and not just like a biopic like why is it theater and why is theater exciting it's not exciting in a movie I think to like see a YouTube video like we know what a YouTube video looks like but I think it can be fun and hopefully really funny to sort of see see something go from 2D to 3D whereas usually it's the opposite right when you film yourself on YouTube and put it on YouTube you're you're 
going from live person to flat. So I thought the inverse was fun and funny. And it's always, there's so much, there's so much humor that you can do, you know, like just like putting something on mute, freezing something, sending a text to your dad, jokes like that. I just, they make me laugh. Well, I love that. Like, cause usually I've seen plays where they pull out their phones and then we're supposed to guess what they were reading uh-huh. or they go with like projections. Right. And yeah. I'm like, that's kind of like. Projections kinda are, like, are yeah. hard. Yeah. But love to people who design them. But, you know, like, I think. That sure. They, yeah. The, the human aspect I thought was really wonderful. So, you know, Bump is a play that's focused on women, mm-hmm. science, uh-huh. and by dis- by design, it's art itself. So in a way, Bump is everything that the current administration <laughs> is against. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what Can't are argue. some of the, the challenges for you as an artist in creating art in this, you know, like really horrible environment that we're living in? I don't know that I can totally answer that yet because I started Bump so long ago, so I feel like I haven't had the experience of of having the sort of new reality or new awareness bleed into my work yet. I think that's kind of a testament to how long it's been since I started a new play more than anything. I'm, I'm very lucky to like have... have a home base and be working in a home base in the ensemble studio theater that has sort of stayed constant and seem um and so far seems untouched by any you know political turmoil so I think it's probably affected me more as an audience member and as a, a reader and and certainly as a citizen than it has as an artist specifically um I think uh I think every playwright working right now is just and and not just playwright. I mean, I think every like uh, arts administrate administrator is very aware of like the importance of like you know like artistic freedom, diversity of voices, um, what we're what stories we're telling, what stories we're not telling, why we're the why of both of those things. Um, I think it's just sort of like a constant a constant conversation, a constant checking in, a constant um I don't know, taking the temperature of the community. Um there are so many ways in which you kind of hmm. I don't know. I think I think I think it's like awareness for me and everyone is like super super up on like, you know, sensitive issues and and what we write about and why and it's certainly up in terms of like audience and like what you're taking in and how much you're doing is like listening right now and like who isn't getting a chance to talk right now and how can we like support that I guess is that very convoluted I feel like that was convoluted I don't know I think that sounds great because you know like uh, uh, nowadays especially the word necessary is thrown around a lot when it comes to art but I genuinely felt that a play like Bump is necessary. It needs to be seen. Oh, that's great. You know, it's for families and for single people and for married people. Mm-hmm. And it's also addressing things that are, you know, extremely universal. So even though the show just started at Ensemble Studio Theater, are there any plans to take Bump on the road? Oh, there are no. Oh, my God. I'm not even at opening night. I like feel like my <laughs> eyes are like peeling. No, I would love to do it in L.A. Um, and my dad is an actor 
and I think he would be great in the role of the dad in the play so that would be kind of like a little personal thing that I think would be really fun but that's just I mean at this point that seems like so long from now we still have like two days still opening (laughs) I feel like we're still scrambling here so I'm sure your dad's gonna be great in the part (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we'll see and can you describe what the device in the play is and what you yeah. know the youtube video that we constantly see on on the stages yeah it's inspired by the odon device which was invented by a mechanic in argentina who was inspired by a youtube video he saw of a man removing a cork from inside a bottle and he thought literally like that could work with humans that could work with getting babies out of the birth canal i don't know how he thought that it seems like divine intervention or something so anyway so that's sort of what the what the device in our play is inspired by and how it works essentially is gosh you put in I guess it's easier to explain the cork trick which is you have a cork in a bottle you roll a plastic bag you insert the plastic bag through the neck of the bottle you inflate it and when it inflates it kind of grips the cork so if you turn the cork upside down and then pull the bottle out the cork will come out with it how many times did you try that at home um it's actually like pretty easy like if you had a bottle and a plastic bag you could do it right now it's very easy you just need to make sure your bag doesn't have any little holes in it um but it's fun i recommend it it's a (laughs) crowd pleaser works pretty well right and you're not on twitter but you're still on instagram right yeah yeah so (laughs) i hope listeners (laughs) If you if you replicate the cork experiment, show it to Kara. Yeah, on right? yeah. We should do like workshops before the play or after. Like everybody gets like a bottle and a cork and can do it. Yeah, I wanted something. to do that scene with the baby when he's doing the baby out of the jar. I was like, I want to do that. Oh but yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. And you know, like just to wrap up, what I found really extremely beautiful about the play and its origin was that not only, you know, not only the cork video inspired the Ozone device, but it inspired Bump. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, like two whole new things that weren't around before just came from this. And it I, makes me feel like a hypocrite for not being on Twitter because it's like the internet is good. The internet <laughs> does good things too. I can't be like, oh, social media has ruined us. It literally gave us this life-saving device and my not life-saving play, but still a play. <laughs> and, and I wonder if, you know, after Bump, have you gone on like really strange like YouTube spirals seeing maybe I can write a play inspired? <laughs> no, not in terms, not in search of another play, but throughout the rehearsal process, many, many water birth videos were watched. Many, many. And there are all sorts of, and, and even actually the opening scene of the play is inspired by YouTube, which is if you look at like grandparent baby surprise reveal videos, there are like thousands of them. So YouTube is really deeply ingrained in the thread of this play. Awesome. Kara, thank you for thank joining you us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximum Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that are different from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Maximum, and I am at Jose Solis Mayen. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximumisms. You can get to the store via Maximum.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. Thank you.
Theatrical Media.